today's medical sales leader. And I am absolutely thrilled to bring you my guest today because she and I recently met on LinkedIn. And Jessica here is one of the foremost leaders in the med tech space in her way of thinking about the future of healthcare and the passion that she brings behind it. So Jessica, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so glad to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Awesome. So Jessica Zempedri, she is a passionate leader with a medical sales background, and she is looking to apply her expertise in multiple ways to get her impact. She's passionate about figuring out how to help surgeons thrive on multiple levels, which is wonderful because so often we think about healthcare in itself and selling products and hitting quota and we can forget about the real true needs of our customer, the surgeon, right? And, and so many other people surrounding that circle of care. And she is led by curiosity and has worked in a various, uh, in various different sectors of healthcare surrounding surgeons in the OR, out of the OR, which gives her an incredibly unique perspective. She's a mom. She's a boy mom, which I am super passionate about as well as I am a boy mom. It's a special club we're in. And she's Definitely also so. in. Right. And she's also <laughs> interested in helping med tech companies create new categories that will lead to greater patient impact. So I, I don't know if there is a better description of somebody who should be, who is meant to be in this business, but I am so glad that you're here. And if for anybody who's not already following Jess, like make sure that you do that today. So the first thing I want to jump into here is can you yeah. tell us a little bit about your story and what drove the passion that you have for what you're doing? Yeah, so I think part of it, it's like the double-edged sword. So I have been a patient in many facets of healthcare over the years. So I was a teenage mom at 16. My son almost died in like childbirth. So like we were in that NICU for about 8 to 12 weeks on the patient end. And then car accident um, that led to a spine surgeon surgery where three years, I mean, I was going through a system on a spine surgery and, and working in that um, industry as well. And you see both sides of the coin so much differently where when you're in a patient end, as well as looking at it from a sales end, you really see all of these things that are dysfunctional and not working and how all of those things at the end of the day affect the surgeon, mm -hmm. where we like to sometimes put them on a pedestal like they're this insanely <laughs> super intelligent individual, and they are, but they're just as human as everyone else, if not like more pressure than everyone else in the world. So when you look at all of these things, and then you have like something like COVID happen where you just at least for me, like you want to help fix it in some way. Right. Um, and you realize that like you can have so much impact on a sales end far more than you can on other ends. Like when I was in college, I thought I was going to be pre-med. Um, I was pre-med. I thought I was going to go to med school, oh. totally wanted to do surgery. I was an EMT like throughout those years, had all the patient care hours. 
I wanted to divorce my ex more than I wanted medical school when I graduated. And so then fell into medical sales. Um, I think you choose your heart. And at that point, like single mom of two kids, figuring out how to be in an office at nine and then leaving at five and doing like sick days and snow days, like that just boggled my mind where the medical sales was this kind of this perfect arena where I got to still satisfy like the passion that I had for healthcare even then, Mm -hmm. but also it at least seemed a lot more um, flexible. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and it's funny because talking to friends, like they look at my jobs and they don't see flexibility and they see like insanity. (laughs) But I'm like, you choose your heart. It seems so much better when you've kind of got a little bit more control of your day. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think it's interesting because depending on what kind of sale you're in. So if you're in med tech or you're in something where you're in the O.R., and you've got to be on call. That can seem really restrictive, but there are all kinds of there's a there's a huge spectrum of different kinds of medical sales. So like diagnostic, yeah. for example, sometimes I need to be in the OR, but a lot of times we were out of the office. So um, but it's still I see choosing your heart as something very self-aware uh, to do. So. When you were, if if we could go back a little bit to when you were, you know, going through the ICU experience, the NICU experience, you know, what was it about that time that, or maybe what were you noticing about the providers there that made you say, this could be done better? You realize, like I say it all the time, it's like good apple, bad system, good apple, Mm -hmm. bad barrel. And eventually, good apples turn rotten, they turn bad. And you Mm -hmm. see that a lot within healthcare where you have surgeons and practitioners and healthcare workers, they become jaded. And Mm -hmm. we like to say the term jaded when in reality, like on the inside, like, you know, it means like a little bit like jerk or all of these things. But it's, it's really because a lot of the time it's, it's a system issue mm-hmm. where, I mean, I have surgeons who I love dearly and they know that if they can go into a hospital and raise their voice and demand things that are done in a certain way, like there's better, there's a better chance that that patient will be safer in their surgery. Yeah. Does it make it right? No. Does it make it the most optimal for patient outcomes on an entirety and team communication? No. But if that's the system that they're put in and that's the situation that gets them results, it then becomes more of this pattern. And you do, you get jaded physicians that have always, especially probably in the past, like three or four years when I've been working exclusively with surgeons is like, I just want to do everything in my power to be able to fix that Mm -hmm. to make it easier. Because when I was in the NICU, you saw the such a difference on like a patient end of the care that you experience when you've got a surgeon that's still not jaded, they're compassionate, they're caring, they're engaged versus the one that's checked out. Right. Right. And the sad thing that I see as well is that, you know, the ones who generally aren't jaded, right, they're new, right? And and that's not that that's the sad part, but but they have more to learn, more to grow. And oftentimes, you know, the folks who are jaded are the ones who've got 20, 30 years of practice under their belt. They've got things down to 
a very exact procedural science. And it was really sad to see um, hospital systems after COVID not able to support those surgeons who had delivered so many decades of exceptional experience and thus lose them. So then there was this great hemorrhage of wonderful, incredible, talented people, surgeons, who had had it, you know? Um, So so I see that, and I wish there was more support there. Yeah. There is, and that's, like, it's probably about two years ago. I can't believe we're, like, three years out of COVID. Um, And one of my favorite surgeons, like, this guy just – he epitome is like everything you could think of, of like a great individual, compassionate, caring. He spends time with his patients mm-hmm. and like his surgical skill is impeccable. Um, and after getting a product in and selling, we were just talking, I was talking to one of the executives who loved me and we were just figuring out some flows in the practice. And he was, we were talking about how good of a surgeon this guy was. And then this executive was like, yeah, we love him too bad he's going to be just like the rest of them in five years meaning like he's was like five years out of fellowship or five years out of the thing just got out of like his second fellowship where they loved him but it was like we're going to bank on the system to break him and like we're just going to let that be the thing And he is one of those individuals that, like, kind of just represents, like, all of those surgeons where, like, it was, like, a hit to my gut where I'm, like, if I don't figure out, like, how to be valuable to help that, if this guy really did become that jaded, it would be, like, a little bit of a knock on my faith in humanity because he is just totally the opposite of that right now. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, what I tend to see, especially in the spine surgeon arena, is that they'll get burnt out, but they're not usually the ones leaving healthcare. Like, you have a lot of physicians that are leaving healthcare. I think surgeons, it's it's scarier. Like, their whole identity is around doing the surgeries and the surgeries and how they are on this hierarchy scale that I think it's a lot harder to just walk away from that versus some of the primary cares and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so they stay in and then they get jaded and they stay in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Where do you think that someone, oh, well, do you think that it would need to be something where the surgeons are able to be supported individually, or do you think that it would need to start with the actual healthcare program they're a part of first? I think it's various. I think part of the frustrations within the healthcare arena is that we've put all of the burden on the individual to kind Mm -hmm. of like fix it or to fix burnout and all of these things when in reality, if we don't look at the other pieces and truly try to transform them, like there's only so much that can go there mm-hmm. um, coupled with, I think we tend to do more like self-care burnout where if we really kind of supported that physician in a leadership way where we're teaching him leadership and everything that goes under there as well as like key business and like the 
information about healthcare where like they tend to practice medicine, but not really know much about the business of medicine. And so mm-hmm. part of the like reason we're kind of in a crap show with healthcare is because they haven't had seats at the table mm-hmm. where the solutions that physicians come up with are so much astronomically better than anyone with just an MBA comes up with. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting. It's like a, it's a real fine balance because the providers I know who stay in it for the long haul, they are wired differently than folks who are really focused and business minded. And the solution almost, you know, back in the the 90s and the early 2000s, when managed care really became the way that healthcare was done, you know, um, they, they were a part of the conversation, but not enough. And instead of it being this cohesive, you know, um, yin and yang, right, provider and administrator together, a lot of times I do see that it's so much more heavily based on the administration and the business-minded decision-making that the true essence of healthcare and managing and creating the flow of healthcare from a provider standpoint gets really diluted. And I really hate to see it. Um, so, you know, you and, I, you and I were uh, talking about ecosystems a little bit before we started. And one of the things that I think for, for everybody here watching, many of you are in medical sales, right, or in healthcare of some kind. And I think that there is a shift business-wise, of course, where when we go to sell our product, we're trying to sell the enterprise system. Like we're trying to sell and get capture the entire hospital with all of our goods, which I think from a sales standpoint, that makes sense. From a business standpoint, that makes sense. But it's not always with the provider's best interests at heart. It's truly, you know, for capturing the business of the health of the the health system. Correct. So do you think that there is a different way that ecosystem should be implemented with med tech? maybe if we get specific about this and what might that look like? Yeah. So I think part, there's a real opportunity now because you have so many more independent distributors that are at play. And I think that if you do it right, like definitely don't side non-competes, you can negotiate your way out of those. Mm. Um, You can carry various things that a surgeon needs and help build their kind of ecosystem that way, as well as like New Jersey, for example. For that ecosystem to really work, you have all of these various components of healthcare. You've got workman's comp, PI attorneys, you have referral sources and all of these. And if you could actually truly help a surgeon build business, Mm-hmm. That not only helps your hardware and med tech sales because you're increasing surgical volume, mm-hmm. but you're bringing value in a different way because they don't have the time. Yeah. And so if you're just playing in this hardware space, it's it's not as lucrative long term or as valuable but it also like not for nothing gets a little bit boring. You're siloed. You're in this ultra competitive field where if you start playing in an ecosystem game and you start looking at RCM or like ASC management, like, or radiology, like all of these different players that are all part of this um, continuum of care, 
you get to broaden the scope and bring so much more value into the physician's office, which mm-hmm. makes you astronomically less indispensable. Mm-hmm. One of the top complaints like I've got from the guys that have been in the industry for years is they now have kids. They have kids. They can't go out partying or to dinners every night, and they're constantly getting overturned by a new rep who can And so single mamas, two kids, I never wanted my relationships all banked on how many times I can go out drinking or taking a surgeon out Mm -hmm. because you realize that when your product is negligibly different, that relationship capital is huge, Mm -hmm. but it can be easily overturned. Ooh, you've hit one of my very favorite topics, (laughs) which is, um, you know, introducing products that matter because I think we're both very in tune with the fact that there are a million iterations of essentially the same softwares, hardwares, and services out there. And while I, I see why it's done, you know, back to the enterprise model we were talking about, you know, you you say you've captured Cedar Sinai and you need to offer something your competitor doesn't or does because you've just got to have it. And then you put your stamp on the exact same product. It, who does it really serve? And so I really appreciate your more global thinking about this because I think it's where healthcare has to go. And if yeah. not, we're all going to keep banging our heads against the wall on why there are massive layoffs for companies who are trying to bring people aboard to sell the same iteration of a project to the same customer. And we're, we're in this hamster wheel. Yeah. So what do you think the first step is for people to one may, well, let's start with uh, supporting physicians with what they really need. How does somebody find that out? What, what do you suggest? Curiosity and actually listening where, I mean, I have one individual that she sells hardware. She's incredible. She has made it a point to be curiosity, like insane eyes and ear open in that OR to identify exactly when they're complaining about a product or complaining about the delivery of something that's not her bag to figure that out so she can bring it in. So like that's how she's bringing value. I've got another distributor who I work with and grow with and their huge model is essentially like how can we increase their relationship capital with other key referral partners that they need but don't necessarily have the time to do themselves. So they go out and get those relationships for the attorneys and the chiros and the physical therapies and they bring together like dinners that actually help all of this um, flow more so that they're bringing value on a business end. I think, especially if you have a pool of customers, it's truly listening past just your product. Mm -hmm. Um, And then if you are a direct rep, like your hands are a little bit tied to and what you can actually benefit financially from that. Mm -hmm. But it's, you can still make ecosystem merger relationships with the other key reps within there And you realize, too, that when you do that, when you're their catalyst and connector for introducing them to these other relationships, it in turn makes you more valuable. Oh, my gosh. Preach. Yes, (laughs) it sure does. And and people and and your physicians will thrive. It will mean 
uh, physicians, administrators, people working in that OR, um, everybody involved, it means that they don't have, they have someone to rely on that's a greater resource than even what they're expecting. I was just working with a gentleman last month and he was in hot water with his boss because his numbers went down for the quarter, but the reason being was his major accounts out in LA were having trouble with their EMR. I, I forget which EMR it was, maybe Epic or something. But anyway, there was something where the information that they were putting in didn't translate to what they needed to get to identify which which um, which um, um, implant to use. And so he said, you know what? Um, Okay, I'm gonna come in. I'm gonna I'm gonna take the latter half of every day for three weeks, and I'm gonna come in. We're gonna go through this together because I'm rather tech savvy, and I'm gonna help you. And we'll just figure it out together. And they're like, "Well, oh, are you with the Epic rep? No, nope. I just see that there's a need, and I yep. I really do care about you and what we're doing here. So like, why wouldn't I help you? And um, you know, he got in hot water because. It wasn't directly related to his sale, right? And it wasn't him yeah. achieving the number for the month. But, I mean, sure as shooting, that guy is going to be a memorable resource for Correct. everybody he touched there. And, um, you know, I think that is something that we can be blinded by sometimes when we feel so pressured with quotas, with getting on that stage every January um, and and forgetting what this is all about in the first place, right? Correct. And yeah. I think coupled with that, like I see it all the time, the the managers that are in that situation, they're also the ones that are very old school. They got to walk into offices. Like they could just walk in and talk to the office manager. Mm-hmm. And it's a detrimental to the new individuals coming in because the industry was built on what I call stalking and access. Yeah. Like when I first got in, like my manager is like distributors were like, just, just sneak into the OR, like just sneak into the hospital, like just stand by there and like, just essentially like wait for this surgeon or like stand outside by the parking lot. Yeah. And it, it just seems like a horrible way to do sales. Like <laughs> your your entire sales is going to be like around stocking. Right. And then I realized too that like not only was that their furlough in, they could really walk into offices because that was the time, but it was also coupled with the fact that a lot of them got into the business and were giving a book of business. They were given these surgeons and you had to grow those surgeons. But if you ask them to sell from a completely and utterly new, clean state of territory, mm-hmm. many of them couldn't. Mm-hmm. And so then you get into like issues because you're like, well, how how do I sell new? Because if your methods aren't working and you've never really even newly sold, then you also don't see the incredible value of someone doing like the individual that you just talked about. Like there's a Mm -hmm. huge value in that for future sales. But if it's almost like that's like healthcare is so bad because we love the saying it's like, we've always done it this way. Right. Right. I think that saying is very huge in med tech as well. Yeah. 
So if you had to say, okay, we're going to try this fresh sale. We're going to we're going to freshen up the approach. We're no longer going to rely on poaching doctors outside <laughs> those swinging doors, right? And listen, I remember those days and oh my gosh, it was before they implemented like RepTrax and BCS yeah. and all those programs to kind of see where everybody was at. And it was sort of like a, you know, you just you just find any opportunity that there was. In fact, I remember a gentleman I worked with at one point, and he would join the gyms where he knew his physicians yes. worked out. I was like, I've there is that. nothing creepier <laughs> than this approach, guy. But listen, I mean, that was that that's the deal. It's 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 extremely competitive. Um, you know, things that are high ticket often are. And Correct. it can get in the way of making smart decisions, balanced decisions, fresh approaches, using fresh approaches that really would make you more successful long term, you know. Yeah. So um, so what's the first thing people should, you know, anybody listening here who's thinking, OK, um, I'm going to try this ecosystem approach. Uh, they can go in and be an incredible listener. Right, like your your yep. friend who is becoming an incredible observer in the OR. What's something else that you'd recommend people try? I think we have such an opportunity with like LinkedIn. LinkedIn has been a huge thing. Like digital sales process, absolutely should be on the book of skills that you learn. LinkedIn, like Omar's got a great great program for like LinkedIn sales networking effect. Matthew has an amazing program for video email sales. <laughs> so, um, so Jess, we were talking about the the other things people can do to tap into the kind of selling you're talking about. So we yeah. started with listening and observing, um, and then you mentioned Matthew Ray Scott, who's got his incredible video program, uh, Omar with his sales programs as well. So what what other things should people be looking at? I think the huge thing, too, is as you grow LinkedIn, you're going to find these other key ecosystem partners that you can work with that are like 16 degrees to what everyone else is doing. And as you do that, you will realize that like you have the influence to get those relationships and talk because you have the relationship capital. And so when you have the relationship capital and then you're doing it on a value-based thing, that opens the door to then get either a referral partner or just like another key in this ecosystem of someone that you trust to then bring into the surgeon office too. Mm -hmm. What are some partnerships that you've seen work really well for you over the yeah. years? Um, so used to be like biologics. Um, now the hardware guys that I have also have biologics. DME is a huge one, like mm -hmm. racing, bone stems are all other key components. RCM, um, so revenue cycle management companies, law firms, um, because if you're in a state that has personal injury or workman's comp, they're going to be using attorneys. And so, helping me broad that rev revenue or referral source is also huge. Mm -hmm. And then you get like these out of the box solutions. You have so many things that are trying to make healthcare better. So like I've just partnered with Provado Health. So they're a smart ASC management company where they're completely kind of changing that space or mm -hmm. marketing. Um, physicians offices 
usually are awful at marketing in this kind of new way. And it's interesting because I think it's twofold. We had an industry that kind of like they would just upgrade someone from the office to handle marketing. So like their skills weren't there. And then they kind of just had a bunch of outside marketers kind of sell them this huge bill of lies or like marketing lingo. It's never actually revenue generated coupled with you've actually have federal laws that make it so that you can't just give a commission based on the patients that come in. And Mm -hmm. so like you have this landscape. So also like marketing partners that actually specialize in physicians offices are huge. And just all of those key components are so much like key to the, to the whole playing field. Mm -hmm. I would, you know, I was just talking to Seth Turnoff about that. And, you know, one of the things we always joked about was when I was in uh, marketing for healthcare, it's exactly as you described, okay? (laughs) Um, And it's not that we were trying to be slimy and unreal about expectations, but there was really not a way that you were able to track the billboard on I-80 East to how many people walked in the door. Um, Yeah. So I really am got into SEOs and like I joke now where I know just enough to be dangerous about it mm-hmm. and everyone is going to be using the same SEOs. So it, it's really a who's paying more money that mm-hmm. month for it because it's not like we have 50 variations of the word orthopedic or mm-hmm. a certain surgery that patients are actually going to find and look for where it's it's similar or they don't even know that they're all of these clicks from their website, 90% of them are from India and they don't do international surgeries. So there's so many things there that when you spend time in the practice and the OR, you will naturally find issues and problems. And then the then next step should be like you figuring out if there's already a solution for it, because a lot of the times there could be, they just don't know about it. Or they don't have time to go explore modern marketing methods. You know, um, we we uh, we're very close to the heart practices out here in in the Spokane area, and oftentimes when we see you know transplants, they were flying all the way from Montana to Washington U, way out. You know, to, they were going all the way out to Seattle. Well, we have a transplant program right here in town, which is would literally cut that life flight in half, you know, oh my God. but the marketing isn't there. And yeah. so the referring physicians don't know. And the physicians who do the transplants aren't able with the time that they're allotted with the massive influx of people right now coming to the hospital for them to go build those referring relationships. So I, yeah. I love the, I love how you're empowering people who are in the situation with their providers to be observers and to get curious because I don't think, and you know, if you're listening and you're, you're like, Claire, you're crazy. Like, yes, we already do this. Let me know. But I didn't feel when I was in the field in the OR that it was my place to support the health system or the business of my physicians. I was focused on my number because that's where I was making my paycheck to pay my mortgage. So I love that you're empowering people to have this broader effect in business. Yeah. And I think like 
it gets a lot easier when you're independent. Like it's scary, but you're, you get to, there's so much more leeway in you being able to really do what's right for your surgeon versus Mm -hmm. what's good on a piece of paper for corporate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's powerful. And it's, you know, it's, it's refreshing too, because I think what you're doing is bringing the future of healthcare to now. And, and I'm excited to see some of these partnerships forming in what you're doing. So um, tell us a little bit about, you know, if, if someone wants to get in touch with you today yeah. or if they want to want to hear more about, I know you've got your podcast with Becky Wolf, who's also an amazing powerhouse woman in this space. Yeah. So what else are you working on and where can people connect with you? Yeah, so one of the huge things that I'm doing with Caligi Law is we're trying to figure out, like, how we bring influence mastery into surgeons. So we're Mm. building out things in that arena and just looking at, like, leadership in surgeons and communication and all of these things. Um, So that's something that I'm working on, just looking at how to support the surgeon past just pieces that, like, you can financially benefit on, but, like, truly solving a system because I think – they are in the best position to change healthcare if we actually gave them the skills that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a huge one. And then as far as contacting me, LinkedIn is probably the best and easiest source. Awesome. Well, Jess, I can't thank you enough for being here with me today. I love yeah. what you're doing in this space. Um, and I think that, you know, when you meet, when, when I first met you on LinkedIn, I thought there's a woman who's starting a movement. And I'm so thrilled to see where it takes you and where it takes the rest of healthcare. So this is awesome. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you guys haven't yet, please follow, connect with Jess, check out what she's doing online, help her, help us be a part of the movement of changing and fixing healthcare for good. And uh, until next time, have a wonderful day. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Claire. (laughs) 